Okay, before we jump into the uh, scripture reading this morning and, and the sermon, uh, young ones, if I could have your attention, I'm going to tell you what the scripture reading is going to be about. I'm going to tell you what the sermon is going to be about, okay? So here's the big point. Uh, it, uh, it was like, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago, all of this kind of happened. Um, Jax came up to me, my oldest son came up to me, and just kind of, just wondering, curiosity, we were talking about some big stuff, and he said, Dad, why do you love me? And I, I said, Jax, I love you because you're so fast. Uh, and then uh, this was, th- yeah, this was a couple years ago. Uh, and uh, then he broke his leg the next week. And that was a hard six months because I didn't love him for six months. <laughs> then Maisie came and asked me, my daughter, and she said, Dad, why do you love me? This was, this was about two weeks ago. And I said, Maisie, I love you because you're so good at soccer. And, and she said, but I'm thinking about quitting soccer. And I said, that would be a big mistake because I don't know how this is going to work between you and me if you're not playing soccer, Maisie. And then Peyton came and he said, Dad, what about me? He, he heard all that. And he said, what about me? And I said, you're so funny. You know, just keep it up. Uh, and, uh, and that was uh, a lot of pressure on Peyton uh, since then. Uh, so, y'all, uh, is that... <laughs> Do you think I'm being serious? Like, no. Like, w- but what if I was serious? Would that be good or awful? Kids, I want you to go home today and I want you to ask your parents, why do you love me? <laughs> go ask them, like, why do you love me? Is this thing, like, I know that sounds awful, but how, like, I guarantee you, we get caught up in this thing. I want you to think about why does God love you? And if you start thinking well, God loves me because what? Because I, I you know, I'm, I'm good and, and I obey and, and I serve and I try to be nice to other people. And what happens when, if you think God loves you because you're being good, what happens when you're bad and you screw up and you know you've been bad? You start thinking what about God? You start thinking that he doesn't love you. What we're going to talk about today is like, how can you know for sure all the time that God loves you what do you think kids let's put it to the let's put it to the young ones how do y'all think you can know that god loves you all the time whether you're good or bad how can you know for sure charlotte wants to because he made us good he made us anything else he is your creator how else can you know what more do you need to know about god to know that he loves you even when you're good and when you're bad Does no one know? Does no one know like how to be sure? Because this is that's okay. Because this is what we're going to talk about today. And this is this is young ones. This is not just a hard thing for you. You can look at your parents. It's a hard thing for your parents too. It's a hard thing for all the adults in here to know. Like how can I how can I be sure that God loves me? You know who you have to stop looking at. You have to stop looking at yourself. And who should you look at? You look at God. You look at Jesus. If you want to be certain that God loves you no matter what, you don't, you got to stop looking at like, how good am I? How good am I? Am I being good? Oh, it's really bad. God's so mad at me. He's up there looking at me like, no, that's not true. You stop looking at yourself and you look at Jesus and you know, know that Jesus came to live for you, to die for you, and he was raised from the dead and he's up in heaven right now taking care of you. You know for sure that God loves you because he has saved you because he's given his son to save you, because he's given up everything to save you. If you want to know for sure, 
that God loves you. It's not because you're fast. It's not because you're funny. It's not because you're good at soccer. It's not because you're really nice to people. It's not because you do everything your mom and dad tell you to do. No, and when you screw up, it's not because, oh, I've lost it. Now I've got to be really good to get it back. You know God loves you because he has saved you. And you know that by not looking at yourself, but looking to Jesus. This is the assurance of our salvation stuff. This is what we're going to be talking about this morning as we jump into Romans chapter 5. For everyone here, we've been moving quickly through Romans. Romans is an 18-part series uh, that we're doing. It's not... (laughs) Romans is not an 18-part series. We're doing an 18-part series in Romans, which sounds like a really long series. For Romans, it's not. It's a really quick series. But what we're doing is we want to see the big picture of this wonderful, amazing letter of Paul uh, writing to the Romans. So uh, you want to understand Romans. You actually really need to see the flow of it. That's what we're attempting this spring. Uh, We're in Romans chapter 5. And chapter 5 is the big so what of chapter 4, of like in answer to what Paul says in chapter 4 about justification. Which we talked about is this justification long word that's about how an unrighteous person stands before a righteous God and is declared to be righteous. We're trying now uh, to see what Paul says uh, about that justification that's, that's this thing. It's not about anything you have done, but it's about what Jesus has done for you in his life and death and resurrection. Uh, and, and now you have everything for your salvation. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it's everything he just said in chapter 4, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, blah, 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 next 11 verses. That next 11 verses, blah, 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 blah stuff, it is some of the most awesome stuff in Scripture. And that's what we'll be seeing today. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, your assurance, your assurance of salvation stuff, all the blah, blah, blah stuff, uh, we, we all struggle with that one. We all struggle with that one, that thing of like, okay, ooh, do you, and I mean this, not can, can someone have assurance, I mean, like you, if I could call you each out by name, do you have assurance of your salvation? Paul gives us this stuff, like, and even that thing of like, what is like, 
What, what does that even look like to have assurance of salvation? And this is what Paul gives us. He gives us the stuff of your assurance of salvation. And he starts verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That is not, he's, that's not about having the peace of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit stuff that every believer has. That, that thing in you that does not want to be anxious, restless, combative. The peace of God stuff. This is not, it's not, that's not what he says. This is the peace with God. Like every, what is everyone's biggest problem who has ever lived in the world? Everyone's biggest problem who's ever lived is God. It's God Himself. Like that's everyone's problem. Everyone who's ever lived will have to reckon with God one day. What will you do when you, everyone has got to answer this question? What will you do when you stand before God on Judgment Day? Because He is either going to declare that you are righteous and justified, or He's going to declare that you are unrighteous and condemned. Paul says the Christian already has peace with God right now because that final verdict on your life, that judgment day verdict, that, that verdict from the last day of history, it has already been declared in heaven. You have already been declared righteous and justified. And that declaration has intruded into present day in your life. So God justification justification is not God's declaration on your present condition. Like it's it's not it's not this declaration of, on your present condition as if if you don't keep up your obedience now, if you don't have enough good works now, you could fall out of justification and God could come back and declare you unrighteous and at a later time sentence you to condemnation. That is not justification. You are not justified on the basis of you. You're justified on the basis of Jesus. Our justification, it's not, and it's not just found in the life of Jesus or, or just in the life and death of Jesus. This is what we, we ended with this last time. Your justification is found in, it's based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So one New Testament, Testament scholar, because that's true, says this, because our justification is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our justification is no more reversible than the resurrection of Jesus is reversible. Our justification is no more destructible than the resurrection of Jesus is destructible. Our, our justification can't be undone, it can't be lost, it can't be forfeited. Because if my present justification, it, this, what I have right now is God pronouncing on me long before the end of history, His final judgment on me right now, uh, because I'm united to His risen Son, then that's when we understand there's nothing in the world that can change your justification. There's nothing in the world that can change God. what God has already declared about you. God will no more... God will no more push you out of heaven than He would push His risen and glorified Son out of heaven. So, this, this, this assurance of our salvation, this is based, this part of our assurance of salvation is based on what has already happened. An assurance of our salvation based on what God has already declared about us. So, when we doubt and we wonder, like, can my past sins catch up with me? 
can, like, okay, how about this? Can, like, the earthly consequences of my mistakes, get, well, yeah, sure, you know, I robbed that bank, y'all, robbed a bank back when I was 16, still on the, you know, I'm still out, uh, jail maybe in my future, uh, that's not, but maybe that's you, like, maybe you did rob a bank, I, I don't know, maybe, jail maybe, okay, so jail may be in your future, but not condemnation. Uh, and that is really good news. Can my past sins catch up with me and demand more payment? More punishment from God? Can God change His mind about my terrible past and make me pay? No. Be assured you already have peace with God. You are not under His wrath. He who is out, and how does this work? How does like that, because I've had conversations with y'all about this. Like, okay, wait, how does like that future final declaration intrude into the present when I believe? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. Like, God who is outside of time and space has already declared it. Paul is clear, you have been justified. How could anything in your past, quote, catch up and change it? It can't. That is part of our assurance. Okay. And then we want to ask, okay, okay, but what about what I am doing right now? I want to press that. Like certain ongoing struggles with sin and addictions, those really do make us doubt. Like right now, temptations that make us feel like I can't say no. What about that stuff in my assurance? Yeah, that, that, yes, that's true that we struggle with temptation, we struggle with sin presently, we struggle with ongoing sin. Yes, true. And presently, there is nothing, nothing you're doing now that could forfeit your salvation. You hear that? You're like, that can't be... Yes, that is, that is true. Your justification, which was not based on your past performance, is not now based on your present performance. It was and remains based on Jesus' performance for you. So, Paul can say, verse 2, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this is assurance of your salvation based on what's presently happening. What past, now present. So when we doubt and wonder, that thing of, can I stand on my own works today before God and gain His love and favor? Like, can I be good enough today for God to love me? No. No. You did not stand before God based on your works when you were saved, and you do not stand before God now based on your works to keep your salvation, to secure it. You stand on grace before God right now, today, and that will be true tomorrow. And let's be honest, there are times when I don't like it. We kind of, there's, this is in all of us, of that thing of we, we kind of want God to keep punishing us. Like I still want God, I still want God to be mad at me when I screw up and I'll make up for it. Because that thing of grace, that demerited love, favor of God, um, it's just, that's, I don't, ugh, I, you know, it's kind of, it's a little distasteful. I like believing in Jesus, but I'd like to believe in Jesus and I'd like to make up for the mistakes I've made. Like if I really blow it, if I really go off the rails, I'd really feel better about my relationship with Jesus if I could do a little penance 
by feeling really, really bad for a little while. Or I'll do penance by, uh, and then I'll, I'll up my Christian game uh, and I'll be really good uh, for a little while, you know, at least. You know, I'll double my Bible reading. I'll double my prayer. I will go to church every Sunday for at least like a month. Um, I'll, I'll serve maybe once somewhere, maybe a mission trip. Uh, I'm going to pay God back and we're going to spend some quality time together. I owe it to him. That's in all, that is in all of us. I'd like to pay God back. God, let me pay you back. Let me get you back. Christian assurance is, n- but Christian assurance is not based on Christian performance. C- both Christian performance and, and lack of Christian performance, like you doing really, really good at being a Christian and you doing really, really bad at being a Christian, both will destroy that kind of attitude will destroy your assurance. It'll destroy the ins- assurance in your heart because if it's about Christian performance, then it's about you. And Christian assurance does not depend on you. Your assurance depends on Jesus. So newest believer in the room, and I'm at, like this room right here, just no pointing fingers, newest believer in the room, poorest believer in the room weakest believer in the room you may be the person here who has the littlest faith in jesus christ like your faith is really small as a mustard seed that same faith will get you the same christ as every other christian here's a little irony is we can turn the means of grace into penance like our Bible reading or our you know, worship or our prayer life. Like we can turn that into penance, but that will steal your assurance. Uh, you're, if you're doing it to pay God back, your assurance is in Jesus, but where, here's the irony, but where you get more of Jesus is in the means of grace. So you can't neglect the means of grace either. You can't neglect worship. You can't neglect prayer that will affect your assurance. So it's a question of why, like why? Like why do we do this? It's, it's simply to get Jesus, to get more of Jesus who already loves you. And here's more assurance. The rest of verse 2, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You can see that this is going past and present. No. This is assurance of our salvation based on what will happen in the future. We've got a hope that is certain because our future is, it's certain. Heaven is coming and with it the glory of God, infinite goodness, infinite power, infinite beauty, and it's forever and it's certain. So when we wonder and we doubt, okay, okay, but wait, okay, but is our hope of eternal glory, like, is it too good to be true? No, not too good to be true, but it is too good to imagine. Like, it's beyond anything you could possibly, it is better, infinitely better than anything you could comprehend, and it's true. That wonder, that doubt that creeps in. Okay, wait, is it too good to be trusted that God would give it to someone like me? Something that good. Well, it's too good to be trusted to be up to you, which is why our assurance is not in trusting in ourselves, but our assurance comes from trusting in Jesus who is trustworthy. 
it's not too good to be trusted if you're trusting in Jesus. Okay, but is it, okay, but how about this? And you wonder and you doubt, okay, but wait. Is it okay, and someone asked this this week, like, is it okay to be preoccupied with heaven? Like, don't we need to be down to earth? Don't we need to be sincere? Don't we need to be realists? And not, like, not pie-in-the-sky kind of people. No. Give me more of that pie. Like that, th- how about that thing of like you, what you're holding on to, uh, of like knowing that you're, whatever vacation you've got coming up, if you've got a vacation coming up, like you're holding, you're like, it's okay because you know we're going here really soon. That thing, uh, how about that thing of everybody's working for the weekend? Um, th- that thing where you say, the gra- that feeling, that sense in you, the grass is always greener. There is a grain of truth to that. There really is a grain of truth that, like the grass is always green. Yes, there's a grain of truth in all of that. That's been in us since the beginning. That feeling, that sense of the grass is always greener has been in us since Adam. That was in Adam. Even in the Garden of Eden, perfect Garden of Eden, that was in him. The grass is greener before the fall because Adam was looking forward to heaven. It's translated here as Paul saying this whole thing of like rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, like that future, the assurance that's based on what's future. It's recorded here. It's translated here as rejoice in hope of the glory of the God. Uh, but the last time that we saw this word rejoice in Romans, we saw it in Romans chapter two. But there, it wasn't translated rejoice. It was translated as boast. Uh, when Paul told us not to boast in our own works before God. It would have been, love this translation that we have. Translators, so smart. Um, It would have been better. I think it would have been more helpful if they had translated this uh, the way it was translated in Romans 2 because it would have captured what Paul is really saying here in this turn that he's making because what he's saying is boast in the hope of the glory of God. Boast in hope in the glory of God even though it's beyond comprehension this glory that is coming, we should occupy ourselves with trying to comprehend it. We should occupy ourselves with trying to comprehend the awesomeness of heaven as the Bible describes it, and we should obsess over it. Like, that's okay to be obsessed with heaven. And then boast that it's even better than what we think it's going to be. And Paul anticipates this objection. Paul anticipates like, okay, wait, even if I wanted, here's the objection, even if I wanted to be preoccupied with he- uh, heaven, even if I wanted to be preoccupied with the future, I can't because I've got too much in front of me this season, this week. I can't see past today. And not because I'm so enjoying my life right now, it couldn't possibly get better. No, I imagine, I can't imagine how awesome heaven will be because I'm too busy with how hard everything is right now. And it's so hard, and I'm doing such a bad job at it, I don't even know that I'm going to make it to that future. Paul anticipates that, which is why he says in verses 3 to 4, you can even boast in your present suffering. And he's not saying love your suffering. He's not saying smile at it. He's saying even though you may not feel it, your suffering is producing endurance in you. And that endurance in you is producing character in you. That's the like the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness stuff. That is producing that in you. And that character is producing hope 
So he goes from hope to our present sufferings and saying, yeah, our present sufferings, guess where it's going to get us back to? Hope. We're right back to hope. The real, the real reason your present suffering is distracting you from the assurance of your heavenly future is because we, do, we mistakenly think, we fall into this trap of thinking, life should be better right now. And because we think that, because we think it should be better right now, we think God is far away because it's not better right now. Uh, church historian Carl Truman, he's written about Christian assurance a bunch, uh, and he draws a lot of his stuff uh, heavily from the Protestant reformer Martin Luther because this guy Martin Luther, uh, who kicked off the Protestant Reformation 16th century, he was plagued. This guy Martin Luther was plagued. I mean, the father of the Reformation was plagued by his lack of assurance of salvation. It haunted him day and night until the penny dropped for Luther. And Luther realized that the cross of Jesus reveals to us, to the believer, listen to this, that a difficult experience is no guide to status before God. You're going to hear that again. He realizes that a difficult experience it is no guide to status before God. And for Luther, he says, it is precisely when the believer is suffering, persecuted by fellow men, abandoned by friends, overwhelmed with sin, it is then that he or she is, he says, paradoxically, most likely to be standing in proper relation to God. When we feel that God has totally deserted us and we have nothing but Christ to cling to, Jesus is thus at his closest to us. When you feel like you've got nothing left but Jesus. And so Paul is saying here, don't deny, don't distract yourself from your present suffering. Let it drive you to Jesus. And you will, if you let it drive you to Jesus, you will hear that promise again. Glory is coming. You have not arrived yet. This world is not our home. And that does give us that assurance of there is a better future coming. Anticipating another objection, Paul is, is quick to say in verse 5, he says, our hope and our hope, it does not put us to shame. Because other people will try to shame you and try to shame your hope in all kinds of ways. Uh, you will hear people shame your hope as uh, offensive because in this, this is offensive. When you tell people, when you tell people it's all done, I've already received heaven, my salvation is secure, that's offensive because people hear that and they think, <laughs> you think you're good to go. Like, you think you're good enough. You don't think you have to live a good life. You're just guaranteed heaven no matter what simply because you believe in Jesus? And the answer is yes. And then it's, and you can have it too if you'll have Jesus. Other people will try to shame you that your hope is unbiblical. You're going to get this kind of pushback. You can even get this kind of pushback in the church. Uh, because in the history of the church, there were terrible abuses by church leadership that was 
motivated nefariously, you know, to profit. I mean, you can really profit off of people's doubts. You can, you can go in for indulgences and taxes, purgatory, pilgrimages, selling of icons and merchandise. You know, those were, I mean, this is where the Reformation was born out of. I mean, the Reformation was about recapturing the assurance of salvation as much as anything else. Because the church was stealing people's assurance. And today, in parts of the church, church leadership robs people of their assurance. But from what seems like more... Um, pious motivations because what you'll hear is you can't tell people this stuff because then you're going to get the problem of moral laziness moral laxity if you assure people in the church of their salvation just because they all they have to do is believe in jesus they're going to live however they want and paul is saying no He's been making this argument for Romans 1. If you don't assure people of their salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they'll live however they want. Assurance of your salvation does not come from Christian living. Assurance of your salvation does not come from living a faithful Christian life. Living a faithful Christian life comes from assurance that you're saved. Living that Christian faithful life comes from you not looking at yourself. It comes from looking at Jesus. J. Grisham Machen, another New Testament scholar, he said, uh, other people will try to shame you that your hope is impractical. Uh, he, said, he put it like this. If someone, if someone was, this is what the world will say to you. Listen, looks at the church, and this is the critique of uh, the world to the church. You know, if someone was drowning, you wouldn't share the gospel with them first and then pull them out of the water. You'd pull them out of the water first and then share the gospel with them. Okay, church? So, the world says to the church, just like that, let the church first show that it can help the world out of its present emergency. And then, if it, uh, then if, uh, if it can, if the church can help the world out of its present emergency, the world may think that the church is worth listening to when it talks about God. So first, church, let's, let's, let's watch you uh, solve the world's problems, and then maybe we'll listen to you about God. Erroneous. And it's a bad, that, that thing of like, if someone's drowning, like just pull them out and then tell them about it. Like, that's a, that's a terrible analogy. It's a false analogy. Because pulling a drowning man out of the water is really easy. Just pull him out of the water. Pulling the world out of its present emergency is not, it's not like that. So, bad example, bad illustration, non sequitur. Uh, second, the world is in its present emergency because of its neglect of God. I mean, this is how we got here, is we've rebelled and denied God. But the present, it, but the present emergency, even though it is real, and yes, we want to help, even though it's real, it's not the world's biggest problem. The world's biggest problem is God. So yes, we have to hold on to the gospel. That is our assurance, and it's the only assurance we can offer to the world. Now, uh, other people, it, it's not impractical. It's the only practical assurance there is. Other people will try to shame you that your hope is wishful thinking. And it's just dumb. Like, harps and clouds forever sounds awful. Okay, and some of you all think I quote C.S. Lewis too much, so just let me, this is from a guy who wrote a book called Christianity, and um, he said, 
There is no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot under- this is so mean. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. <laughs> so mean. But, but he says he says all the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is of course a merely symbolic attempt to express the inexpressible. Musical instruments are mentioned because for many people, not all, music is the thing known in the present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. Crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share His splendor and power and joy. Gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven. Gold does not rust. And the preciousness of it People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. Okay, and like if you're sitting there thinking like, wait, there's not going to be music in heaven? It's just going to be better, infinitely better. Other people, other people, uh, so this is, our, our hope is not, wishful thinking and it's not dumb it's incredible other people will try to shame you that your hope is uh, it, your hope is in an unjust god who punished an innocent man jesus in your place like that's gross and it's unjust that's your hope uh and they would go and say and if jesus okay and let's just assume if jesus was the son of god your hope is in an unjust barbaric god who punished his own innocent son in your place but here's the thing god did not have to send his son to save us, to be okay. Like God was perfectly content without us. And the Son came willingly. He came voluntarily to save us. He also didn't have to come. He was perfectly content in heaven without us. Now, uh, Paul makes uh, an incredible turn here. Uh, uh, it's maybe an unexpected turn because uh, he goes from our hope. He says, our hope does not put us to shame. And I kept reading it and thinking, I think what, uh, you know, this is such a weird turn. Why is this weird? I think we, we expect him to then say instead, our hope doesn't put us to shame. Here's how it makes us feel. Our hope makes us, you know, not shame, but he doesn't, but he didn't say that. He didn't tell us how our hope makes us feel. He tells us our hope does not put us to shame, and then he tells us what our response to the world that shames us is. He says our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. As it like, do you hear what's being communicated there? It's it's not you know what is our response to those who shame us? It's love. Like we're going to love those who shame us. And I know you're going to say, okay, I don't feel love for those who shame me for my faith. I don't know that I'm ever going to get to the point of feeling love when people shame me and try to embarrass me. Okay, that's okay because Paul is not talking about a feeling. He's talking about love in that truest sense of love, which is commitment and it's action. One of you has an awesome shirt that says love is a verb. That's what he's talking about. How do I love my enemy that shames me? Because God has poured out His love in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And when He did that for you, 
you were his enemy. It's an incredible thing to lay down your life for someone, Paul says, but people do it, verses 7 and 8. Like, maybe, like, to lay down your life for someone, that's an incredible thing, and maybe, 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 maybe you would do it for someone you hold in, like, really high esteem, you, you really, really respect, you know, the, what he calls a righteous person. But he says more likely, you know, you, as, credible, as incredible as it is, maybe more likely you die for someone you, you love and you hold dear and you deem as a good person. So, like, if someone was attacking your family, you'd probably give your life to defend your family. But, here's Paul, but would you give your life for the person attacking your family? Who, who dies for an enemy? Verse 6. Jesus does. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died, I mean, this is like, talk about offensive. Christ died for you when you were a weak, ungodly enemy. And here's the really good news. God has never saved a good person. God only saves sinners. And then, and this is the end right here, and then before he returns, because this is where he's going in the rest of chapter 5, he's going to go back to the awesomeness of our justification. But before he does that, he, re- he gives us the greatest assurance of all in verses 9, 10, and 11. And I'm just going to talk about it for 10 seconds. Um, listen to all this, like when he says much more, much more, much more. Listen to all this much more stuff. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God from the wrath of God by him. And you're like, okay, who's him? Like him who? Oh, oh yeah. Like we were justified by Jesus' blood, okay, and how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God by him? It's that thing of oh Jesus, who he was dead, but he's not dead anymore. Like he he is around, he is still here. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? It is that thing of where is Jesus right now? He's not dead. He is not in the grave. His body is not in the tomb. He is risen and he has ascended into heaven. And verse 11, again, more than that, we also rejoice in God and it should say boast more than that we boast in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation so more than more than boasting in what jesus has already done more than boasting in the present outworking of our salvation more than even boasting in the end result of our salvation boast in the architect boast in the author boast in the one who accomplished your salvation. Boast in the one who is applying it to you right now. Boast in the one who finishes it. Boast in God. Your loved ones, your Savior is not dead. He lives and He reigns and He is in heaven interceding for you right now, assuring you by the power of His Holy Spirit who He sent to indwell you. 
that he will not fail to finish what he has started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this assurance. And we, the first thing we want to pray and ask for is assurance because we struggle with it and we live so much of our day-to-day lives without it. But Lord, we believe that we can have it. And so we ask you for it. We ask that you would direct our eyes again and again today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that uh, to direct our eyes off of us and back to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that he might be the one that we boast in, that we would stop, uh, that we would see when we're boasting in ourselves, we'd stop and turn again to boast in our Lord and Savior, that we might have this assurance and know that you are with us in good times and terrible times, in the light and in the dark. And Father, help us to direct each other's eyes off of each other, off of ourselves, into Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name and we pray it for his glory. Amen.